0: M-S-W-Media. Thanks to Feels for supporting Cleanup on Isle 45. Feels is a better way to feel better. For 50% off your first order plus free shipping, go to feels.com slash cleanup. F-E-A-L-S dot com slash cleanup.
1: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor, Or different rules, depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as attorney general at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer.
0: So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, May 11th. This is episode number 69. Nice. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, pervert and real-life lawyer, Andrew
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Oh, yeah, we're keeping that one in. <laughs> we do 85 takes on uh, anything else, but, you know, that one's got to stay.
0: And real-life lawyer, <sighs> Andrew Torres. I mean, every time somebody says 69, you just have to say nice. Right.
1: You know, it's, Them's I, the I, rules. I, <laughs> and before we go any further, I feel like we should uh, thank our new patrons. So, yes. uh, Allison, we have a couple of those.
0: We do. Uh, and amazingly. And thank you so much, by the way, for, for joining Janelle Lopez, Marshall Hyde, Rita, Chloe, and moving to Boston and about to have Elizabeth Warren as my senator.
1: Uh, I am so jealous.
0: <laughs> Show off.
1: Ugh. If only there were some sort of national office that she could have been elected to.
0: Uh, Yeah, like something. I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. But, you know, it'll come to me. (laughs) It will. I'll I'll tell you what, though. Biden's a badass. Okay. Moving along. Uh, We have an update in the Sussman Durham (laughs) circus. And your mama, AG, spent about four (laughs) hours parsing these. And these are short filings, but they're so... Geez, all killer, no filler in these filings. And so uh, uh, we have uh, a couple of things to go over, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. So first up is, as we've been discussing in previous episodes, we now have a ruling from the judge on uh, the questions of what evidence is uh, going to be admissible at trial by uh, John Durham, by the special prosecutor, uh, and also a ruling on the. A uh, claim by Michael Sussman that um, they would be required to immunize Jaffe or or otherwise be subject to uh, selective prosecution. So mm. let's uh, as uh, the kids that say,
0: in. as the kids say, the judge's ruling here is sus. I don't like it, <laughs> and we'll talk about it. We will. So the court has already ruled on the evidence about the accuracy of the data right gathered by the researchers. Uh, because, you know, Durham's saying, well, it's inaccurate and that proves that he lied. Yeah, it, whatever. It doesn't. And it's, <laughs> not, it's irrelevant. We went over that in a previous episode. And in short, the judge decided the evidence Durham wanted to introduce about the accuracy of the data was off limits unless Sussman wanted to open that door and bring it up in an attempt to prove its accuracy, which... He is not going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I feel like that door shall remain closed.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and it even says so in one of the other filings we're going to talk about. So Durham lost that round. Eh, but the court will allow Durham to say that the FBI determined those data were unsubstantiated, which we already knew. So I'm kind of cool with that. Yeah. The judge also said their work uh, that Durham cannot introduce testimony from representatives who worked in maintaining the servers. And they aren't allowed to talk about th- what they talked about with the FBI about, nor is the judge going to allow CIA discussions about those same data. And finally, the judge blocked Durham from having anyone testify about the accuracy of those data again, because none of it has to do with the 1001 charge. (laughs) That's right. Now Um, Durham tried to argue that it did, but the the court was like, you suck. It doesn't. And no, Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Now the court uh, reserved ruling on some email evidence that Durham wanted to introduce and Sussman's motion to uh, grant use immunity to Jaffe for his testimony because they complained that Durham was holding an indictment over his head, stopping him from providing exculpatory testimony for Sussman because he'd have to plead the fifth so he wouldn't yep. be indicted, uh, even though Durham wouldn't tell him what for or anything like that. But that does come up in this new thing. So then this new ruling addresses that stuff that, they, yeah. that wasn't addressed in the other one.
1: Yeah, that's right. So one of the first things that Durham wants to introduce is evidence about how that data was gathered, right? Durham says it was gathered inappropriately by Joffe, and then it could be a crime, right? And so he argues that the data uh, are proof that Sussman lied to the FBI because it proves the existence of an attorney client relationship. <laughs> Um, remember Sussman is charged with lying to the FBI by saying he wasn't there on behalf of any client. So Durham's argument is that the origins of the data prove that he was working on behalf of a client. And that is what makes it funny because
0: that's, that's Sussman's whole point. Yeah. (laughs) I was working on behalf of a client. I didn't lie to him. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: And uh, I think Durham also argues that if the court thinks he's full of shit about the origin of the data being relevant right. to the lie, it should be admitted anyhow under rule 404B, which we talked about last week. Other mm-hmm. acts that go towards Sussman's motive, because Durham believes there was a big conspiracy against Trump orchestrated by the Clinton campaign, Fusion GPS, Sussman, Joffe, Perkins Coie, Mark Elias, and several researchers that were doing this work for Jaffe.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, spoiler alert. I, this this judge I think is very in tune with the notion that you know Durham is trying to turn this into fifty percent sideshow and fifty percent repository for press releases to the Daily Stormer, or whatever you know, right? Crazy right wing blogs and
0: zero yeah. percent trying to prove that anyone lied to anyone. Cause right? That,
1: that doesn't because this is a one thousand and one charge. That's right. Yeah. Now. Sussman's argument is that the evidence shouldn't be allowed because he had nothing to do with how the data were gathered, which seems like pretty good argument from you know this lawyer's perspective. Durham responds to that by saying that he has circumstantial evidence that connects Sussman to the data gathering effort. The defense says that Jaffe and the researchers worked independently of Durham and the Clinton campaign, and so you know I mean this is just one of the situations where. Like if I were the sitting judge, you almost kind of throw up your hands, you know, so the court says it's kind of
0: what he did because yeah. he was like, all right, you need fight it out in court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: basically that's
1: right. it. Yeah. And 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 so similar ruling, if Sussman opens the door, right, then Durham can introduce that evidence on cross-examination uh, or to impeach. Um, but uh, but Durham can't put it on in his case in chief, which that's a, a win for Sussman. Right. That, that yes. anything that helps narrow the field of these kind of, you know, crazy conspiracy yeah. theory that is going to gather headlines is is a win.
0: Yeah. And, and with regards to Jaffe possibly obtaining those data in objectionable ways, which he's very vague about, it could have been a policy for the firm that he worked at. And he's already tried to do this policy at the firm he worked at bullshit. And the judge is like, fuck off. Uh, if you had actually <laughs> ten, taken 10 minutes to read the policy, you would find that it's not against the policy. So now he's doing this. Uh, Jaffe got this in objectionable ways. The judge says Durham hasn't proven that Sussman had concerns about how the data was obtained. Nor has Durham proven Sussman had any independent knowledge of how the data was collected. Eh, sorry, Durham. You <laughs> Quote, evidence of improper data collection by Mr. Jaffe or others done without Mr. Sussman's knowledge is, at best, only marginally probative of his supposed motive to lie to the FBI.
1: Yeah. And all of these are going to be resolved under with that standard sort of hanging out in the background. And that is weighing the relative probative value of this sort of evidence against its prejudicial distracting effects. And, you know, it's it's not hard to figure out what side of the line this one falls on.
0: Yeah. And and the judge went on to say whether Jaffe, who is not on trial, (laughs) violated his contract with the government, let alone committed a crime is the kind of collateral bullshit evidence that will distract from the pertinent issue. Now, I added the bullshit part. Uh,
1: But I'm not sure that uh, that wasn't an accurate summary of what the judge was thinking. So, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad we clarified that wasn't part of the quote. All right. Next up, Durham wanted to introduce emails. That would between... be great,
0: though, if we had court with
1: swearing. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, but um, there there is. I know we have a lot of law students who listen. Um, there is an interesting law review article to be written on the permissibility of swearing in court and in judicial opinions um i am just old enough that i can remember not again not being in court cuz i was a baby associate but like the reading decisions and the attitude of where you know you had to be you, you know you had to go in and say your honor you know uh the the, the defendant uttered a foul and demeaning swear word and now you can go in and go your honor the defendant you know called him an asshole like and 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 uh, you know you say asshole in court i've said asshole in court um and uh and i think there's there's a great law review article to be written on uh the acceptability of the uh, acceptance of of uh, swearing in court over time but mm-hmm. uh, all right <laughs> next, next up. up though tell yeah tell us about the emails
0: because these are great these are the emails that durham wants to introduce between joffy's researchers mm-hmm. and Jo like amid the researchers among right. them and then other emails between fusion gps and the press right
1: right um and so the argument is that the emails were in Furtherance of this huge imaginary conspiracy that is in the background between Clinton, Fusion GPS, the press, Mark Elias, Sussman, Perkins Cooey, the deep state, God, Sonny Jesus, right? Like, I just, I, you know. And, and my cat way, was involved. As right. You could, well, obviously, the cat, right? <laughs> you saw the camera focus in on its eyes really quick. Oh, um, all of this is, so one of the things that we have emphasized on this show on, on, on opening arguments um, is that emails are hearsay, right? It's, it's kind of a counterintuitive thing. But when you go to introduce an email as this is a thing that AG has said, you are introducing not your testimony for the substance for the truth of what you ostensibly declared. Mm-hmm. And so
0: there's like all... well-known exemptions yep where it, so, can, it can come into play and and this gets this is kind of a this case itself is a really good lesson on on that kind of hearsay email thing
1: That's exactly right. So there are really two ways that you try and get hearsay in, right? The first is does it fall within any of the 23 enumerated exceptions within the federal rules of evidence that apply whether or not the declarant is available or not. And one of those, look, the one that I use to get Hearsay introduced all the time are evidence of regularly conducted activity or regularly conducted business records, right? So if you go in, you use your business email account routinely to send emails to the head of purchasing, and I want to introduce an email to the head of purchasing, that then becomes an exception to the hearsay rule because it's a routinely conducted activity that you do all the time and it has that uh, indicia of reliability to it. If you can't find an exception to the hearsay, then what you argue is it's not hearsay because I'm not trying to introduce it for the truth of the matter, right? That's contained in the statement, but for some other purpose, and usually that is, you know, to impeach uh, the the testimony of another witness, to contradict, you know, their prior statements, that sort of thing. So Sussman says, "Look, the emails are definitely hearsay because they're being offered as truth. Don't buy into any argument of." They're really being, you know, used to... They want want you to believe that these things are true. And, most importantly... (laughs) This is my um, favorite. Durham hasn't established that there was any kind of joint venture by and among all of these folks, right? Which is required to admit them as non-hearsay co-conspirator statements. And then... (laughs) <laughs> there, there's no evidence whatsoever that that non-existence, that non-existent joint venture is criminal, is relevant to any criminal behavior. The value is just nonsense compared to the danger of unfair prejudice and confusing to the jury.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Durham says it doesn't matter. And this is kind of a <laughs> cool thing that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Durham says it doesn't matter if the statement is offered as truth, if it's in furtherance of a conspiracy and that it doesn't have to be a criminal conspiracy. Rule 801 D 2 E allows for statements made in furtherance of a lawful, legal joint enterprise. In furtherance of a of of an enterprise that's legal, and and I don't know if people who are frothing at the mouth over how awesome Durham is know this, but Durham isn't saying there's a criminal conspiracy here. He's saying this was a legal, lawful joint enterprise, and that these e- emails were in furtherance of that conspiracy, and because of Rule 801 D 2 E. It doesn't matter if these are offered for truth. I get to introduce these because these emails are in furtherance of that lawful, I'd like to just repeat, and legal enterprise conducted by Hillary Clinton, Mark Elias, Scott and Sonny Jesus, and everybody.
1: Yeah, and and now this is a ra- rather interesting view of the Federal <laughs> Rules of Evidence, right? So, so Rule 801 hits that second category of stuff uh, that I talked about, which is ways to get in what would otherwise be hearsay, right? So uh, you can look for the exceptions to the rule, but you can also look for in 801, it says these kinds of things are not hearsay, right? So 801C is what defines what is hearsay. It says a statement that the declarant does not make while testifying at the current trial and a party offers in evidence to prove the truth of the matter asserted in the statement, right? So contained within that definition is you're offering it for its truth value. But then D has a whole bunch of stuff that is statements that are defined by the federal rules of evidence not to be hearsay. Why is it defined this way? I don't know. (laughs) Right. Like this is just we're not we're not saying this is hearsay and it's admissible under an exception. We're saying we've defined this as not hearsay. And this is a thing that like lawyers particularly like. Law students have to memorize when you're preparing for the bar exam, right? Because the bar exam loves to say, is this statement hearsay? And have it be, you know, no, it's not hearsay because it falls under an 801D exception, right? As a a, a 801D exclusion, as opposed to an 803 exception. Um, In practice, none of that matter, right? The question is just, is the statement coming in or not? So those things include, Right the The witness's prior statement, right? So, if a witness testifies on the stand, and you know, and I'm uh, cross examining them, and I say, uh, "So, did you call President Trump a no talent ass clown?" And they say, "No, uh, absolutely not. In fact, have you ever called anybody a no talent ass clown?" No. So it's your testimony here today, all right? And then I put the piece of paper that's an email from them to somebody else that says, "Hey, you no talent ass clown." <laughs> and then I get to I get to immediately introduce that statement because it's their prior statement. Right. Uh, and uh, it's inconsistent with the testimony that they've just given. And I can say, OK, you know, do you now recall that sometimes you do call people no talent ass clowns?
0: That's also like extrinsic impeachment.
1: In, 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 indeed, it is.
0: Cool. So, See, I'm already, uh, I'm already ready to go. Let's take the bar. Let's go you, to Vermont. You're doing great. Um, and <laughs> but this one <laughs> is it true that statements made in furtherance of a legal joint enterprise are so, admissible?
1: So here's what here's what it says. And again, I have never litigated this particular issue. So that was 801 D1 D2 E says an opposing party statements. So if the statement is offered against an opposing party, okay, which it is, and was made by the party's co-conspirator during and in furtherance of the conspiracy. okay, And that's the end of E. Now, I would read that as requiring an illegal conspiracy, right? Like inherent in the definition of conspiracy is that it's not a lawful agreement. Otherwise, you would just say an agreement. However, it then says the statement must be considered but does not by itself establish, and then a bunch of things, including the existence of the conspiracy or participation in it under E. That's not
0: what, then Durham's just reading it wrong. Because to me, what that (laughs) says is that the the statement has to be made in furtherance of a criminal conspiracy by preponderance of the evidence, but the statement itself can't be proof that there was a conspiracy.
1: and, And does not require, most importantly, does not require inherent in the statement that it proved the conspiracy, right?
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to prove yeah. a conspiracy here. It just right. has to be made in furtherance of a potential yeah. conspiracy. So
1: I have never seen D2E applied for a legal gathering. That absolutely well, is what Durham says. Well, then um, that explains the judge's decision. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, again, I could, I you know, it's possible it's been interpreted that way. Um, I'm not a prosecutor, but, uh, but it seems weird. I mean, we, you know, we've just read the precise language. Uh, well,
0: and it's still really great that Durham has the cojones to come out and say that what Clinton campaign and everybody was doing was a legal enterprise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not alleging right now that it was a criminal conspiracy. Yeah,
0: but yeah. if I'm going to grab whatever I want out of these <laughs> and put them out on the internet, that's there what I'm you
1: saying. go. I I agree with that. Let's let's fight dirty.
0: <laughs> so the court first addresses the non hearsay emails, Yes. Yeah. and then it's going to determine if the others are hearsay and can still be admitted because they were in furtherance of a conspiracy. So the emails between Joffe and the researchers, yeah, these are not hearsay because they're not offered for truth. They're offered to establish an attorney-client relationship between Joffe and Sussman. The judge says, "No way, bro. These emails <laughs> don't in any way establish an attorney-client relationship between Sussman and Joffe." Quote: "These emails are simply not relevant to Durham's stated purpose for offering them." Uh, it would be like, you know, if um, if uh, I, I can't even think of an example. This is the example. Like yeah, it, yes. it's it's like if two of my friends were emailing back and forth. And that makes me their attorney. Like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And the judge was like, nah, bro. Yeah. And uh, Durham also said the mere existence of the emails. Aren't you just glad they exist in the world? The mere existence (laughs) outlining the researchers' concerns about the data give motive to Sussman. So if if emails exist about about the accuracy of data that I've never seen, they somehow (laughs) give me a motive to conceal that I'm representing a client that somehow gives me a motive and and again the the judge is like no a written record of the concerns would only give Sussman a motive to hide concerns only if Sussman knew the record existed <laughs> And Durham has failed to prove Sussman saw those emails.
1: What a dumb, weird argument. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. I like how in order to even make the syllogism make sense, you know, you had to add in the, you know, which He's seen and therefore wants to hide, right? And like, and the, and the judge rather politely points out that, like, that part was a missing part of Durham's argument. That, like, yeah, it would be motive if you could establish that Sussman knew about those it emails. It wasn't even
0: a missing part because Durham said that just the fact that they exist. shows that he has mode. He doesn't have to see them. They exist in the world.
1: If Sussman is omniscient. Yes, that's correct. So So fucking dumb.
0: Um. (laughs) Uh, But finally, he goes, even if any of that was relevant, if any of that mattered, the emails reflect the researcher's views on the accuracy of the data. And I believe I've already told you that the accuracy of the data is irrelevant and can't be used unless Sussman opens the door. And he's not gonna, he told me, ha ha
1: ha. Yeah, now uh, uh, not a total loss. Um, I'm being slightly sarcastic here. Uh, the judge did concede uh, that Fusion GPS emails that were sent out to the press are non-hearsay and can be admitted uh, for the limited purpose of Durham proving that Fusion GPS wanted to get the Alpha Bank server story out to the press, which is big no shit like uh, right. yeah, yeah. what
0: if what is fusion gps's job right <laughs> it's to get opposition research and give it to the press and that's all he is allowed to prove yeah. everyone's gonna go yeah and they even wrote a book about it have you read <laughs> like right. anyway now so he, he he let them have now what about the email from Joffe to the researchers
1: yeah um so the judge ruled that one is hearsay, right? So it would have to be in furtherance of a conspiracy.
0: And he puts a pin in that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a says, big, awesome, uh... shiny pin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to bring all that conspiracy stuff back back together. Before the court can allow evidence under that provision, it must determine the existence of a joint venture and that the statements were made in furtherance of that conspiracy by the preponderance of the evidence, right? That is the civil standard more likely than not, just like right um, how Judge Carter had to determine that Eastman and Trump committed a crime in order to vitiate the attorney client privilege and, and turn over emails to the one six committee under the crime fraud exception. Right, You don't have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. You prove that to the civil standard preponderance of the evidence.
0: And that that statement, just like this wouldn't make it a conspiracy, that doesn't make that that crime. Either correct, it's, yeah, right.
1: and and notice we were very careful to point out when uh, Judge Carter made that ruling, uh, the the court therefore finds it more likely than not that Donald Trump and Dr. John Eastman have uh, committed crimes. Right, we did not say go go arrest on the basis of that. What we said was that was, that you could begin. Mm-hmm. You could go before a grand jury and take this piece of paper and stick it in front of said grand jury and then say, do you think there's probable cause to believe that Donald Trump committed a crime? Um, and the answer to that would be yes, right? Because the standard for probable cause is even less than that, right? Like you know, to to hand down a grand jury indictment, you don't have to have convinced a grand jury beyond a reasonable doubt. They, they just have to have um, a probable cause to believe that a crime is committed. Okay. So with that, with that in mind, the court then says uh, there are a number of reasons why he's not even going to entertain determining whether there was a conspiracy. Which I just uh it's it is I a know. chef's kiss. Yeah. And
0: this is where he, he he parts ways with the Carter uh, analogy because right. Carter did go through the motions of determining whether or not probable or uh, be you know beyond preponderance there was a crime committed right. by yeah. this judge is like. I am not even going to take a minute to to decide that,
1: right? I am so number one. Sussman hasn't been charged with a conspiracy, right? So that's a pretty good starting point, right? And 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 again, really useful to say to a prosecutor, right? Like, well, you 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 didn't come in here even arguing that, so uh, that's kind of point one. Second, Durham wants to use these emails to show a lawful uncharged joint venture and not with respect to the actual again remember 18 usc 1001 single count of uh, lying to a, a a government official uh is charged with and third um the researchers did not share in a common enterprise goal of getting the story out to the press and uh i, I believe you you put a little asterisk on the ruling here which Mm -hmm. Just tell us about this one.
0: (laughs) This brings me to my favorite paragraph. Given these present ambiguities, that is so kind. (laughs) Given these present ambiguities, deciding whether a particular statement falls within this rule would require a finding during trial that this broader uncharged conspiracy existed and that both Mr. Sussman and the author of any particular email were members of it it would then require an individualized determination of whether the specific statements contained within those proffered emails were made in the furtherance of that conspiracy. Because no conspiracy is charged in the indictment, this undertaking would essentially amount to a second trial on a non-crime conducted largely for the purpose of admitting other acts' evidence of Sussman's motive rather than his commission of the singular and narrow crime with which he has been charged.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and... and Good good to see. Right. Like it's easy for us (laughs) to keep coming back to what we have said and what experienced prosecutors have told both of us since uh, Durham was appointed and certainly since the Sussman indictment came out. Right. Which is that this is nonsense. This is not the kind of thing that prosecutors bring. Um, And and. And it's one thing for us to say that. It's another thing for the trial judge to say, hey, remember, you've only charged him with this stupid thousand and one crimes. Yeah. And again, let's let's a like. A one thousand and one offense is not always stupid, right? Like it's no. That's that's an important crime. Right. Exactly. So I don't I don't want us to commit it. Right. I I don't want us to be belittling the underlying offense. uh, But yeah. Yeah. But but it I want a us to be clear, than,
0: you know, conspiracy. Um, right now. Do you I, I saved my second favorite paragraph?
1: You. <laughs> do you want to read that
0: it's the next one?
1: Sure. And as it stands now, the government must steer clear of evidence regarding the accuracy of the data, which the defense does not plan to place at issue. And whether Mr. Jaffe's role in the collection effort was somehow objectionable or illegal. Nor will the court conduct a time consuming and largely unnecessary mini trial to determine the existence and scope of an uncharged conspiracy to develop and disseminate the Alpha Bank data. Um, The the, the phrase mini trial is a thing you do see, right? You will often see it in connection with questions about. Um, whether to grant injunctive relief or not, right? Like, And that is something where you have to take a guess at what the merits are before otherwise moving forward. But typically, if you want relief, that's not a good phrase to see uh, in the court's opinion, because the court's going to be like, look, you know, this is not a a fact that you can place into evidence. This is not something upon which we can rely. You would have to establish all of this, and this is so tangential that we're not going to allow you to do that. And And it's important to remember, right, like with a conspiracy, you must show an agreement by and among the members of the conspiracy to further the ends of the conspiracy. Right. So, you know, if it is not a conspiracy, Allison, if, you know, you say, boy, I would really like for Joe Biden to win a second term and I say to you. Oh, that means you want me to go execute all of his opponents. <laughs> Got it. Wink, right? Like and and I run off and do that and and, and you're like oh, w- wait a minute. <laughs> right? No, 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 no. Like no, no. we we have not met. You know there was no meeting of the minds on that conspiracy. You cannot be charged when I try and flip and go no, it was all Allison's idea, right? Yeah. Um,
0: I do have to say it was really nice of this judge not to call Durham out on his weird reading <laughs> and interpretation of
1: 801-D2E. Uh, I, I, look, I could be the one that's wrong, but I i mean, I read you the text, so, you know. Um, I, You know, I'm not a lawyer. Well, but apparently neither am I. So. <laughs>
0: we'll leave it at that. All right, next up. And this is going to come in to play in the next filing, in, the, in yes. the defense, with a defense trying to get their evidence in. But right. this is Durham trying to get some of his evidence in. He's got notes taken by Priestap and Tricia Anderson. And uh, those were the notes that after Baker was done with the meeting, he had a meeting, and then they took those notes down. And uh, because nobody was in the room when it, it, the 1001 happened, right? No right. <laughs> no one was there. Right. So. Now, the defense wants to prevent notes taken by Priestap and Tricia Anderson after Baker's meeting with Sussman. And the judge says... Well, maybe. Let me lay out steps needed to admit those during trial, and then you can try it, and then I'll let you know if you can let it in.
1: Yeah, and and, and that's really a way of saying that, um, that, that this is a closer call on relevance versus prejudice, and it's really going to depend on what the testimony, what the cross-examination looks like at the time. Um, Dur- Durham also wants to include statements that Sussman has made to the CIA. Durham's argument is that Sussman lied to the CIA uh, and Sussman says he told the CIA what he had for them was, quote, similar, but unrelated. Right. And that was updated Alpha Bank information, plus Russian made phones that were used on Trump networks. Durham says they're related. And <laughs> here's here's how here's how the judge put that one together <laughs> Mm-hmm. Allison, you want to take that one away?
0: It's pretty good. Sure. Whether Sussman's description of the YodaPhone allegations as unrelated to the Alpha Bank allegations was actually misleading can be confronted on cross-examination. However, the court will not prevent this line of inquiry to lead to additional technical testimony about the YodaPhone allegations or their accuracy. Remember the whole accuracy thing? Shut oh, up. Oh, God. Discussions amongst CIA employees about the data and any conclusions the CIA may have drawn about the accuracy of the data after the meeting had ended are not relevant to Sussman's earlier statement to the FBI. Therefore, the same parameters the court has set for the DNS data will apply to the accuracy and gathering of the Yodafone data. And I think it's funny that he didn't say, and you didn't charge him with lying to the CIA.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Let's remember, the 1001 is – right – uh, lying to Jim Baker about, and, and, and it really should be materially omitting to Jim Baker on whose behalf Sussman was appearing before the FBI, right? Mm-hmm. That's the allegation. There's and no so, charge
0: for the CIA meeting. Right. Uh, but, but Durham is somehow saying that he lied to the CIA when he said, I've got some stuff for you that's similar but unrelated. So, and that is so fucking vague. That's why he couldn't charge him with it.
1: Right. Of course. And so, you know, this is kind of the classic um, di- dispute that arises in the context of trying to impeach a witness. So, for example, one of the things you can't introduce uh, is general character evidence to prove that a witness was acting consistent with that character. Right. And the way to think about that is the, the fantastic. Well, we talked about that in yeah. the. Yeah. In the. um in the murder of George Floyd case. Exactly right. Right. And, and the way I always explain to people is that is the opposite of that great Simpsons episode with the uh, 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 objection to uh, the prosecution calling him Carjacker Willie and the judge going, uh, I'm going to allow it. It characterizes the defendant as a carjacker. Right. Like, that's the thing you can't do. Right. You can't say this guy is a liar. So he probably also lied to the FBI. Right. That's what Durham wants to do. And the lie here is just so, I, again, right, similar but unrelated. Well, what the hell does that mean as a sentence, right? Like I, it, it clearly, right, it's clearly was not meant to be taken. Li- In fact, I'm not even going to say that. I don't care. It's going to come up as a single cross-examination question, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, it, You know, Durham you is going to objected to right and 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 uh and probably uh you'll get uh, that, that'll probably get overruled, and you'll probably be allowed to ask the one question and get the answer, yes, I said uh that that information was similar but unrelated, and that was re- with respect to the Yodaphone, yes, indeed it was yeah, and, and it so is, is
0: it, you can do a redirect with your own right. lawyer it says, what do you mean by similar but un and unrelated yeah,
1: I don't think you'd even need to, I think like it, the question is right you know if if the question if, is if moot. If Durham says, and is it your testimony today that that was unrelated, right? You would say, yeah, I said similar but unrelated, and I stand by that characterization, right? And then it's just sort of up to the jury to decide whether that's a fair characterization.
0: Yeah, well. I'd be like, well, d- are you going to charge me? Or,
1: or what? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but as a as a testifying witness, you have to answer the question. So.
0: Yeah, I know. Okay, uh, now this is the final yeah. thing, and this kind of... Yeah. I, I don't get this. Maybe you can talk me down off this ledge, but Sussman wanted Jaffe immunized because he contends Durham is making it impossible for Joffey to provide exculpatory testimony for Sussman by saying he remains a subject of Durham's investigation, even though it's been six years since this shit went down. And he relatable conduct that jaffe you know participated in went down it's been six years bro five years of statute of limitations for most of this stuff sussman says that amounts to prosecutorial misconduct uh and the court says we're going to deny your request to immunize jaffe and here's why they say sure prosecutors who discourage defense witnesses from testifying are depriving defendants of their sixth amendment right but only in extraordinary circumstances like the one time a prosecutor called a witness the night before she testified and explicitly threatened her with a gun charge that she was cleared of. And since Durham didn't directly contact Joffe to discourage his testimony, and since Sussman hasn't been able to prove Durham doesn't have a reason to charge Joffe, and the reason is because there's a relevant statute that Durham has brought up that has a seven-year statute of limitations. How convenient. <sighs> Not a five-year statute of limitations. And so, therefore, this is not prosecutorial misconduct. He could actually still, might have been guilty of this seven-year statute of limitations law. And this isn't an extraordinary circumstance. He didn't call him up and say, I'm going to charge you with this if you talk, you know. Boy, Andrew, that's cut, cut it close to me on the Sixth Amendment. Not that (laughs) I think this single 1001 charge has a prayer. Yeah. But that would be one of the multitude of things I would appeal on, because the seven-year statute of limitations charge is 18 U.S. Code 1031, major fraud against the United States, and that seems like a really huge stretch. And so what that says to me is that any prosecutor can dangle a ridiculous charge with a really long statute of limitations to prevent exculpata- exculpatory testimony without any redress.
1: Yeah, I— I I share your concern. I mean, we should we should say that the section that would apply would be 18. You (laughs) apply is the wrong word. The section that from which you could make an argument is 18 USC 1031, which says whoever knowingly executes or attempts attempts to execute any scheme or artifice with the intent to defraud the United States. Right. That's what you have to prove. So that has the knowingly component. Right. Executes or attempts to execute. uh, And then it must be uh, not not just anything that has the effect of, you know, uh, uh, having a false statement or anything like that. But it must be a scheme or artifice with the intent to defraud the United States. Right. So that is two levels. Use that anywhere. Almost. Yeah, it is. It is two levels. Well, on the one hand, you could. Right. Because it's not bounded. (laughs) But on the other hand, the the reason why this is categorized as major fraud, right, is that in the the second subsection that gives an example of it, right, it is to obtain money or property by false or fraudulent pretenses. And that must be of uh, a government contract of a million dollars or more, (laughs) right? So... That's the kind of fraud that we're talking about, like large-scale deprivation of large amounts of money that you have deliberately done in advance. This does this is not meant to cover statements that happen to be incorrect. No, it and he not, did
0: the good job for the Clinton campaign. He,
1: did, yeah, he, well, it it his work was for the Clinton campaign, right? Like yes. it was where where is the connection to? Defrauding the United States, right? Like you have to, you have to take. I mean, to to defraud, right, (laughs) means to deprive the United States of money to which it is entitled. So, I I I agree with you that this is kind of grasping at straws. Courts tend to uh, be awfully deferential to to prosecutorial discretion. We have seen that over and over again. We've seen the Trump administration push up against the boundaries of what what that is. Maybe the
0: judge says look you don't really need uh (laughs) you don't you don't really need this particular uh witness (laughs) in order to win your case
1: like so to me that's that is i i can see it both ways right so number one you are a hundred percent correct that if by some crazy random happenstance that is not going to happen, Sussman were to be convicted right so he suppose Sussman is found guilty <laughs> um, he would immediately appeal and I think this would provide a uh, reasonable basis for uh, you know the 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 myriad of of uh, of reasons in favor of uh, overturning that conviction on appeal uh, but I also kind of get where the trial judge is coming from because i've never seen a case in which a judge has i'm sure it's happened but i've never seen a case in which a judge has said based on your descriptions to a third party you are now required to immunize that third party because to me right granting immunity and the scope of it right is it is it a transactional immunity right like what you know how far does that but extend? Yeah, and and he those the, are the court generally things, doesn't yeah.
0: grant doesn't force grant immunity. Uh, no, those immunity. that's and that's yeah, that's so the so he definition. was really just sort of weighing the prosecutorial discretion part.
1: Right, that yeah. is that's part of the strategy of being a prosecutor, and I think the court was like, I, 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 I am. And I don't think that I don't think the court gave enough analysis to being troubled over the, the government's conduct here, that, that they should be, right? Like, it, it is a problem to say there is a hypothetical crime with which we could charge you, so therefore it's okay for us to lean on you and thereby prejudice the defense of yeah. an actual charged defendant. I I, I struggle with that. Um, but I do understand I like why it. the court... I don't I, I agree with you. I don't like it. But I understand why the court said, I'm reluctant to tell the prosecutor... You have to do your job in this particular way in an area that's, you know, typically within the bounds of of uh, not just prosecutorial discretion on how to charge someone, but yeah. how to conduct a a, a criminal trial.
0: And, so. you know, and Sussman, pick your battles, right? There's 900 other reasons that you're not yeah, gonna yeah. Be found guilty right. that you don't need Jaffe's testimony for. Um, so that addresses the Durham evidence issues. All right. And with that, we're going to need to take a really quick break for a word from our sponsor. And then we will be right back with more cleanup on aisle 45. Stick around. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this week's episode is brought to you by Feels CBD. If you haven't tried it yet, I highly recommend CBD. It isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, stress, anxiety, and pain. And Feels is a better way to feel better. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness. And with Feels, there's no hangover or possibility of addiction. It is premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and feel your best. Just put a few drops of Feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. It is hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. It's so simple. To dial in your perfect dosage, just call Feels Free CBD Hotline to help guide your personal experience. The Feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. You know, I've tried a ton of supplements, and I really like that Feels is the safe, natural method to relieve pain, nervousness, and sleeplessness without harmful side effects. It has helped me so much with insomnia and anxiety. Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy, too. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel any time. So go to feels.com cleanup and you'll get 50% off your first order. With free shipping, that's f e a l s dot com slash cleanup. Now, in a separate thread, in a different filings, we have a couple of filings on what Sussman wanted to introduce into evidence. On yep. May fifth, on May fifth, Durham filed his objections to Sussman's evidence, and yet, motion and motions in lemonade is that, yep, right?
1: in okay. lemonade, yes.
0: And yesterday,
1: <laughs> that's it. That's a joke. Sorry.
0: May eighth, Sussman filed his response. To Durham's objections. Now, first, Sussman wants to admit 300 or so emails between him and the FBI relating to the DNC hack and cybersecurity issues pertaining to the Hillary for America campaign. Durham says he's not arguing that the FBI knew Sussman was working for HFA. Yes, he is. Yes. (laughs) Um... Hey, I'm not arguing that the FBI didn't already know that he was working for the Hillary Clinton campaign. And so it's cool if Sussman wants to use them to prove his billable hours were for that and not this, not the Alpha Bank stuff. But Durham says the court should make sure these emails are admitted for truth or aren't admitted for truth, right? Because that would be hearsay. But for a right. permissible purpose like state of mind. And Durham yeah. also says, do we really need... 300 emails to do that because he's like there's this a point like if you're a doctoral dissertation person where this data gets sat- saturated and he's like now you're just making a show of how many times you talked about the FBI and how, how how they really fucking knew you were working for the Hillary Clinton campaign you're just showing off now basically
1: do we really need 300 emails to do that yeah and and we should add all of these that we're talking about here remain pending before the judge so they have not yet been resolved we can kind of speculate. I, I think uh, from from the tenor here, uh, Sussman is going to get a, a subset of those emails in. They're yeah, gonna, they're that's gonna get what, what I think, want. too. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: like, all right, you don't have to overprove you were working for the Hillary campaign. Yep. Unless, of course, and he'll say, yeah, unless, of course, and, and, and Durham doesn't object. Unless, of course, you're trying to prove that the billable hours... That you build the Hillary Clinton Foundation or the Hillary Clinton campaign were not about. We're about this: the DNC hack, mm-hmm. which, by the way, Durham's admitting that Russia hacked the DNC.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how, are we burying the lead on that one a little bit. <laughs> a little bit.
0: Uh, so you know, billable hours, because that's part that's in the indictment, right? He, we, he, it's a lie, and the reason it's a lie is because he build. He said he wasn't there on behalf of a client, but he built a client for the. You know. Yep. So that's what Durham says there.
1: Yep. Um, Sussman also wants to enter several pages of handwritten notes. Uh, Durham argues that Sussman never mentioned those notes before in his previous motions. They were taken six months after his meeting with the FBI, uh, the one in which Durham suggests that he lied to Baker. That alleged lie was in September 2016. And then the meeting notes were taken were taken in March 2017. So here, you know, Durham is saying that passage of time makes it not relevant to the state of mind at the time that the statements that the state, the allegedly false statement was made.
0: Yeah. And this March, 2017 meeting is yeah. a big <laughs> fucking deal. Uh-huh. And wait until you hear what Sussman has to say about what Durham did. Durham says, uh, besides the people who took the notes, Oh, he said, Oh, he, here, here's what Durham says about the March, 2017 meeting, which by the way, had pre strap, pre yep. um, Anderson, which are no- notes he wants to introduce from six months previous. Uh, it had McCabe, it had the acting attorney general who at the time was Dana Bente. It's all these people, right? And Durham goes, hey, besides, the people who took the notes weren't there at the 2016 meeting. The people who took the notes of this meeting weren't at the 2016 meeting where he lied. And Jim <laughs> Baker was at the March 2017 meeting, but he didn't even take any notes. <laughs> That's his <laughs> argument. And then since Sussman doesn't want my handwritten notes admitted he should have to proffer a non-hearsay basis for his notes that he once admitted. By the way, the judge did allow Durham's notes with proper foundation. As we talked about a minute ago, that ruling again came after Durham submitted these objections. So Durham submitted these objections. The ruling on the other stuff came in his notes. And now we're doing this.
1: Yep. Um, Sussman also wants to admit a ton of news articles. Uh, Durham's objection here is that uh, Sussman... Failed to fully articulate why uh, that some of those predate the September 2016 meeting, and many relate to the DNC t- hack and Trump's illicit ties to Russia. And I rather like this quote. Uh, and again, remember, right? This this is Durham's argument in his brief opposing the introduction of these news articles. Quote: The government will not dispute that the DNC was the victim of the Russia hack. Point you made it a, a few minutes ago. Nor will the government seek to prove one way or the other whether Trump maintained ties <laughs> with Russia. End of quote.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not a question here, even though I'm investigating the oranges of the investigation. I
1: it might be. Sl- oh, all right. Never mind. Sorry. My, my, blood pressure, my, my blood pressure has gone back down again. So uh, it, look here. Sometimes you do this sort of thing. I doubt that Sussman particularly cares much about introducing most of these. Um, the The idea is uh, you show uh, and, and Durham has characterized this as, you know, necessitating a mini trial on the Trump Russia ties. And, you know, and sometimes that's the point, right? <laughs> like, look, you know, if you're, if you're going to uh, allow, uh, you know, highly speculative stuff on their side, you should allow the same kind of stuff on our side. And, uh, you know the fact that uh, this was briefed prior to the prior rulings. So
0: yeah, and this is uh, where I, I kind of say, say, this is where I kind of say to Sussman, like, come on, you don't want him to go through all of his conspiracies, right? Right. And it do, it does feel like the defense is doing the same kind of thing here, you know, with the the mini trial that on the conspiracy that, that that Durham wants to prove, except. Their ancillary mini trial is true on Sussman's side. <laughs> right.
1: Well, yes, but, and probably
0: winnable. Whereas the but <laughs> the stuff on the other side is completely false.
1: Yeah, and and uh, I think I think they're going to lose on that one. I think they are expecting to lose on that one. I think you yeah. you brief that up so that if you had lost on the conspiracy stuff before, right? You at least are like, oh, okay. Well, if if we're going to talk about you know. What the conspiracies are, then I'm I I might to, even like
0: proactively yeah. withdraw, like yeah. the, like oh we're not going to need those articles. They
1: they might. I mean again the the you know the the, the reply um oh, no the reply came in yesterday so never mind.
0: Yeah, um, and it doesn't have anything about the articles in it, <laughs> right? And, <'Cause>, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, which it was, like probably for that reason, right? Because Sussman filed his objections yesterday, the eighth, the eighth of May. So uh, his, his reply, obje- yeah. Yeah, his objections to his reply to Durham's objections. And get this they attached as exhibits the actual handwritten notes from that high fucking level <sighs> FBI meeting in question from march 2017 which blows me away because we learn a bit about formerly unknown russia shit
1: we, we do especially if you're good at reading handwriting so yeah the, this is a uh, exhibits a through d which i uh e- emailed you this morning was like hey do you <laughs> you want exhibits a through d off the pacer and you're like one step ahead of you i'm already, <laughs> already
0: texting pete struck about it because <laughs> yep, yep. he was in that meeting he's not yeah. mentioned anywhere in this thing now he's but he's in the notes right A.M. and P.S. Are, yep. are saying stuff. Now, I'm I'm kind of surprised these weren't submitted under seal, but they are marked as unclassified. Yep. Uh, and while I'm personally glad they weren't, that, I, that might come up in a response from Durham or in a decision by the court. But but Durham marked them as unclassified, as we'll learn. Right. So, Su- yeah. Sussman's lawyer says Durham handed over extraordinarily significant Brady material mm-hmm. in March of 2022, which are these notes from that March 2017 meeting. During that meeting, senior members of the FBI briefed the acting attorney general on several aspects of the Russia investigation. Sally Yates now was fired January 30th, so she's right. not there. Bente, who's one of the Comey Six, by the way, became the acting attorney general until Sessions was sworn in on February 9th. But this was Bente who asked for this briefing as the acting attorney general. So I guess maybe Sessions hadn't, he was just taking, taking him a long time to walk up to the office. I don't know.
1: <laughs> He's got those short little legs.
0: Because so. it's a month after he was confirmed and sworn in. So, but he, get, yeah. I guess he just hadn't taken over the job yet. So it's Bente. And during that meeting, Andy McCabe stated the Alpha Bank allegations were provided to the FBI by an attorney on behalf of a client. Yep. And that contradicts the 1001 charge that Sussman said he wasn't there on behalf of a client. And there's no other way the FBI could come to the conclusion that Sussman was acting on behalf of a client between those two meetings. So these notes are material. They're relevant.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we also learn that Durham refreshed Baker's recollection by showing him pre notes. Right. The, 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 the ones from 2016. But did not show these other notes from what? March 2017. Right. So. Quote To the extent the special counsel argues, as the defense expects he will, that Mr. Baker's recollection of the meeting has been refreshed by Mr. Priestap's notes, it is obvious that the special counsel's failure to refresh Mr. Baker's recollection with the contradictory March 2017 notes is relevant to Mr. Baker's credibility, as well as the manner in which the special counsel has handled a critical witness. So brief foray into present recollection refreshed. If you put a witness on the stand and you say, Hey, um, do you remember what you had for breakfast on March seventeenth, twenty seventeen? And the witness says, No um and i say I is there a- grits yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> well you might say right you you might say i had a bowl of cereal how do you know that because i eat a bowl of cereal every day and i've done that every day for the past five years okay so that's one way that you get that testimony in but another way is you might say was well, there anything that could refresh your recollection and you say yeah i actually keep a daily food journal as part of my exercise routine and i write down what i eat for breakfast every morning and i've done that for the past 10 years and then i say is this that journal we then admit the journal into evidence. I say, I direct the witness to page 13. This is March, mark, marked March 17th, 2017. Does this refresh your recollection as to what you ate for breakfast on March 17th, 2017? Yes, it does. What does it say? says I ate a bowl of cereal, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it works. There is nothing illegal about what Durham has done here. But if you selectively refresh a witness's recollection, right, You've only shown him one set of notes as the basis for his testimony, and then I say, did he show you this other set of notes? No, he didn't. So when you gave that testimony that said uh, Michael Sussman came in and lied, and and you had your uh, recollection ostensibly refreshed, you had not been shown this document. Okay, what does this document say on line two? The <laughs> witness was here on behalf of a client, and <laughs> so when you gave that testimony. You had not been shown this document, correct yes okay right and And what that goes to is impeaching the credibility of Jim Baker. There is no way at that point in time. remember we've talked about this. The standard for proving this one thousand and one charge is is it true beyond a reasonable doubt <laughs> that Sussman <clears throat> lied to Baker? About something to which the only evidence the government can produce is Baker's testimony. I, 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 this is why we're laughing about this charge because yeah. there is no. You would have to believe. Uh, 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 you would have to believe that this was a forged doc I mean, I don't even know, right? Like, it doesn't even make sense, right? Right. Yeah. And and with regards to
0: Durham's complaint that mm. Sussman never mentioned these notes in their motions in limine. Right. You know, because he's like, you didn't even bring them up in your motions, bro. Sussman's like, yeah, you buried these notes in 22,000 pages of discovery two weeks before the motions in Lemonade were due. And Durham didn't exactly label them well. <laughs> they were in a subfolder called FBI declassified. And the 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 notes, them the documents themselves was called FBI DOJ declassified documents. And with that, Sussman's lawyer accuses Durham of violating Brady.
1: That's a good argument. Every prosecutor that I have, that I know, right, the ethical prosecutors that I've talked to take their obligations under Brady and Giglio incredibly seriously. And I have been in their office related to uh, a case in which I represented a a witness. This was a a, a pro bono. I was volunteering and I represented a witness in a criminal case. Um, And... My witness had I was we were working with the prosecution, but my witness said something that was uh, arguably uh, exculpatory. And the prosecutor agonized over this, right, said, yeah, I think we're going to have to disclose this as Brady material. And I sat in the office while he called defense counsel and said, I have evidence from witness a who is going to say X, Y, Z. Right.
0: Yeah. And the only excuse Durham would have here is he didn't look at it. Yeah. Which is not a good thing that you want to say (laughs) to the court. I didn't didn't look at all the evidence, you know. Yeah. Uh, Now, uh, Sussman also argues these. I I want want to do this next part because I want to give you my favorite part of this the the extrinsic (laughs) impeachment point. It's my favorite part, but I I feel like you deserve that present. So, Sussman argues first of all, the notes aren't hearsay. He says the defense does not intend to introduce such statements for their truth i.e., that Mr. Sussman, in fact, brought the Alpha Bank allegations to Baker on behalf of a client. We're not arguing that. Rather, we intend to offer the statements as evidence of the awareness and state of mind of the FBI, Mr. Baker, and other FBI personnel regarding the origins of the Alpha Bank allegations. Such evidence is plainly relevant to show Baker's state of mind, the FBI's understanding of the information, and the lack of materiality of the alleged false statement. Makes sense.
1: And and this, again, is, you know, we talked about that, that, that uh, if you are looking to introduce an extrinsic statement saying I am introducing it to impeach the credibility of a witness uh, does not require you to say. Right. You're you're saying I don't I'm not introducing this to have the jury believe that the position of the FBI is. Uh, as conceded by the prosecution as of March 2017, is that Sussman was there on behalf of a client. I'm not trying to say that. What no. I am trying to say yeah. is Baker's state of mind. Yeah, it Period. absolutely contradicts Baker's I- I- earlier testimony.
0: Yeah, we don't even. It doesn't even matter if he was there on behalf of a client or if he told him he was there on behalf of a client. Your star witness' credibility S- is shit. Now, not that Jim <laughs> Baker's a bad dude. Right. No. I mean, but know. read here, read this next. This is
1: so good. <laughs> this is, I thought you were going to take this one. I'm glad I get to read it over a period of several years. Mr. Baker has offered inconsistent testimony regarding what Mr. Sussman told him in their September 19th, 2016 meeting. First, Mr. Baker told Congress he did not remember whether Mr. Sussman specifically mentioned whether he was acting on behalf of a client. That will feature prominently in the opening statement throughout the trial in closing arguments, right? Like, yeah. Then Baker told the DOJ IG that Sussman provided it on behalf of some number of people that were his clients. And then Baker told Durham in an interview several years later that Sussman didn't specify whether he was representing a client and that Baker never asked. And so continuing, only after having his recollection purportedly refreshed with notes from Mr. Priestap nearly four years after the fact, did Mr. Baker decide that Mr. Sussman told him that he was not acting on behalf of a client, a fact that Mr. Baker concluded he, quote, must have told Mr. Priestap if the notes reflected that information.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's basically like, I don't remember, but if your notes say so. Yeah. And now you've got contradicting notes. But are they? And kind of. So here's why. Because these notes happened six months later. This meeting happened six months later. These new notes show that Baker didn't object, nor did Priestap or Anderson. No one said a thing in the March 2017 meeting when McCabe said Sussman was there on behalf of a client. No one said a thing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not sure not objecting proves it's true, but Sussman isn't trying to prove the truth. Right. And this is, it, this is this whole thing is my thoughts, and I want you to tell me what you hmm. think is he's trying to impeach Durham Star Witness. I do think that there's more conflicting stories um, that, that more conflicting stories show more inconsistencies in Baker's recollection, and that's what this is. And and that's actually cited, this omission, this not objecting, the silence is cited in US V stock quote prior statements that omit details covered at trial are inconsistent if it would have been natural for the witness to include them in their earlier statement. And, U.S. v. Williams, a statement inconsistency may be determined from the circumstances and is not limited to cases in which uh, diametrically opposing assertions have been made. Thus, inconsistencies may be implied through silence.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And 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 look, if this were – again, I don't no, do criminal cases. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but so because no. no one objected, because
0: Priestap and Anderson, whose notes they're using – Right. Uh, and and nobody said, oh, "Hang on a minute, McCabe. He wasn't there on behalf of a client." Now, I mean, I I might say, "Well, does someone have to?"
1: No, they don't. But it's it is an inconsistency. That that that's right. And there's sort of multiple layers here, right? So I described it as a little bit of a game, right? To introduce a statement, not for the truth of the statement offered, right? And the reason that that's a little bit of a game is you get that statement in front of the jury, right? And the jury gets to read it and decide whether they believe it. And you can say, we are not, you know, the, the judge can say, well, you know, they have not offered it for the truth value contained therein. Um, I can tell you as a trial lawyer, that doesn't matter, right? Like you don't unring a bell when a jury gets to see something. and. Remember that the core element of the one thousand and one offense is that the allegedly false or misleading statement must be material, right? If I meet an FBI agent at a bar and tell her some allegedly false things about myself, right? Uh, As long as that's not material to a governmental investigation, hey, I cannot be charged with 18 USC one thousand and one, right? And this, their entire argument is: oh, this whole thing would have gone could not not even would have could have gone way differently if Sussman had just come in and said, "Well, I'm here on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign." And the the, the reality is, right from the very beginning, th- that's a dumb argument. No, it wouldn't have. Uh, at no, everybody knows why you were here. All of that. This this provides ancillary support again not in a way for which it's intended yeah, and he
0: might have said that but nobody can fucking remember and right. everyone's notes are contradicting itself and, and as was other people's testimony so
1: what and and here is here is good again corroborating evidence that nobody at the fbi gave a shit whether this was on behalf of the hillary clinton campaign or not right you have a contemporaneous. Meeting in 2017 in which it says, hey, Sussman's here on behalf of a client. And nobody said, well, what, what, what we were told he was here as a concerned citizen. Uh, he was waving a little American plus, flag and plus everything.
0: 300 emails between the FBI and him yeah. about how he works for the Hillary campaign. It's like, yeah,
1: come on, bro. So. Uh, so, yes. Right. That's that's precisely the kind of situation in which. Yeah. The. the, the This is going to meet the legal requirements. And it is also going to massively undercut the central argument that Durham needs in order to, to to win a conviction here. And that is that all of this would have gone down very, very differently if only the poor FBI had known that Sussman was a political operative.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm surprised that uh, Baker didn't get a candor note yep. or, uh, you know. Uh, but I mean, it's it's going and i'm also interested to see what he says about the brady stuff what the judge says about it violating brady um, i doubt
1: the judge is going to sanction based no. on that but but it it feels he'll probably scummy. Be like
0: that's really don't do that again you know he yeah. will probably get one of those
1: yeah it it feels it feels lousy though
0: <laughs> it is buried in a subfolder without being clearly marked yeah um And not showing them to... Maybe he didn't know they existed, which makes him a shit prosecutor. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Also plausible. Yes. Now, I, I wanted to talk a minute about the exhibits... They're unclassified, um, but I think we're running out of time, and I want to talk yeah. about Eastman for a minute, so I'm going to save that. I'm going to talk about those on the Muller Road podcast, because that's a pretty appropriate place to talk about those, All because right. it has to do with the Carter Page FISA and how it was fruitful. You guys are definitely going to want
1: to hear it. It, it is. It's really good stuff. Make sure you're listening. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, so now, we're going to check in on our least favorite insurrectionist, the architect of the dubious legal theory that led to actual violence, John Eastman. When we last left Dr. Eastman, he, I need some noir music. Can I get some <laughs> noir music in the background? When we last left Dr. Eastman, he was completing the review of tens of thousands of pages of documents at a court-ordered pace that left him free to travel around the country and grift off of idiots. So we've learned that Eastman voluntarily withdrew privilege claims on over 10,000 pages or so worth of stuff while asserting privilege on about two or 3,000 pages. That runs more to, oh, no, he asserted privilege on 2,000 documents that's about 20,000 pages, right? And now the wrangling begins over those final claims.
1: I'm still stuck in film noir. I want to do that like, I knew this dame was trouble when she walked into my office. (laughs) (laughs) Look
0: at the stems on Eastman. No,
1: (laughs) Having looked at the privilege log, so the 1-6 committee then has divided those 2,000 documents into three different categories, right? each of which is about a third, right? So they agreed they were going to withdraw their objections to 721 documents. Okay, you can have those, right? Then, this is something you don't see very often, but, but but really smart strategically, 576 they want to hold in abeyance, right? This is in deference to the schedule, uh, A.G., that you described earlier, which so is... So they're like,
0: we want to reserve the right to fight about these later.
1: Yeah, we, we're headed towards public hearings in June. It's the first week of May. Uh, We are uh, not conceding that these are legitimately privileged, but we've talked about how you can make kind of an informed guess based on the recipients, based on the title, that sort of thing. They're like, these are probably not the the droids we're looking for, you know? So we're going to hold these on abeyance. We're going to agree not to move to have uh, the court conduct an in-camera review of them right away. Um, They're kind of sketchy, but you know they're least likely to give us new and useful information. We're going to reserve our rights, not ask for review
0: right now. Reminds me of an old game we used to play on Mueller, she wrote, called Sketch or Nah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's
0: what we don't know yet. They, they seem a little like they could be sketch, but you don't have to do that. These are the important ones. 721 right. critical ones, totaling about 3,000 pages, 2945, where the 1-6 committee has asked for an in-camera review. Now, of course, there was 111 emails. That he did before, and now this is 721 documents, about 3,000 pages, in-camera view, to tell John Eastman that no, the stuff where he helped conspire to bring about the end of democracy does not fall within attorney-client privilege. And in their latest filing, the 1-6 committee has stressed the need to move fast, telling the court that it's preparing to present the conclusions of its investigation to the public through hearings scheduled to begin June 2022 and the forthcoming reports.
1: Yeah. And this really throws into sharp relief the Eastman strategy, like pretty much everybody who was ever associated with the Trump administration to delay things as much as possible. And I'm really glad to see, you know, we've we've learned. right? Mm-hmm. Hey, it's time to tell the courts, look like this is just just don't fall for this crap. They are trying to run out the clock. Um, and in connection with that Eastman. Continues to do things like request discovery from the 1-6 committee, which continues to make absolutely no sense. The court's already ruled on this, right? You don't get we've just discussed Brady material. You get Brady material when you're charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. You do not get Brady material when the court has to evaluate whether the crime fraud exception applies as if you were being accused of a crime. No court's ever held that. And this court has explicitly not held that.
0: It was like that Wisconsin senator who was complaining that there wasn't a cross-examination during the impeachment.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) You know what, bro? Yeah, I can't believe
1: you're a senator. (laughs) Don't commit. Don't defend presidents who commit crime. There you go.
0: Yay. Now Eastman's response to this uh, was to claim that the public hearings are not cognizable by this court as a legitimate interest because the committee has not identified any prospective legislation delayed due uh, to want uh, of doctor e- due, due to wanting doctor Eastman's emails. But again, for the eight hundred millionth time, the judges have ruled on this a zillion times. You don't have to know what your legislative purpose is up front. You don't even have to figure it out until it's over. It's like you don't. It's like, shut up. You don't have to tie (laughs) subpoenas, hearings or public testimony to specific legislation in order for it to be valid or a valid legislative purpose. Eastman knows that this has been decided.
1: Yep. Uh, One more bit uh, trying to run out the clock. Uh, Eastman argued that he didn't get the specific Bates numbers of the of the 721 documents that they want uh, so the court yesterday ordered the committee to produce that list by today which they've done it's a 21 page document so I, I now have the Bates numbers of the documents they really really want to see doesn't do us any good until we see the documents the corresponding but documents. you know but we know what they are now so yeah
0: and the court by the way also ordered Eastman to produce a briefing schedule by tomorrow. The 1-6 committee proposed one that would run for two weeks and complete all briefing by Tuesday, May 24th. And significantly, the court also ordered Eastman to produce a revised privilege log covering just the 721 remaining documents for in-camera inspection that uh, lists more detail as to the recipients and the nature of the claim privilege. Because you know his privilege logs suck out. They
1: suck. Yeah, they
0: do. So we will keep watching.
1: Yep. And for our C block, it is the end of an era on comings and goings with the departure this Friday of White House press secretary, living legend Ooh. all around delight Gensaki. Psaki. There are literally only two people even remotely happy about this. I mean, Peter Doocy, of course, <laughs> but also Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, Jean- the uh, current principal deputy press secretary, who uh, who gets to ascend to the big chair. So uh, welcome aboard.
0: I'm so excited. She's going to be the first uh, black woman to serve, first openly yep. LGBTQ plus person in the position prior to her role. Uh, Kareen served as chief public affairs officer for MoveOn.org yep. and an, an NBC and MSNBC political analyst. Of course, we remember her. She was also the regional political director of the White House Office of Political Affairs during Obama and uh, the deputy battleground states director for President Obama's 2012 reelection campaign. Well done there. Yep. Campaign manager for ACLU's Reproductive Freedom Initiative. Excellent. And that's a, deputy that's chief. A thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, Yeah, that's a thing right now. And deputy chief of staff and director of legislative and budget affairs for two members of the New York City Council. So, you know, a veteran of this kind of stuff. She knows it.
1: Yep. Welcome aboard. Also, quick, warm welcome to Carlos Felipe Oriarte, nominee for assistant attorney general for legislative affairs at the DOJ. Gerald H. Acker, who's the nominee for Commissioner and Chair of the International Joint Commission. Annie Caputo, the nominee for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And Bradley R. Kroll, who is also a nominee for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Hello. So, continuing to staff out uh,
0: executive agencies. Love my nukes. Finally, we also welcome aboard Donald Cravens Jr., nominee for Undersecretary for Minority Business Development at the Department of Commerce. David Pekoski, I guess is how you pronounce that. He's going to be the administrator nominee for the Administrator Transportation Security Administration (TSA), Department of Homeland Security. Right? Hugo F. Rodriguez Jr. nominee for ambassador to Nicaragua. Rosie Hidalgo, nominee for Office on Violence Against Women, director at the Department of Justice. Uh, I love that. And three nominees to the U.S. Institute of Peace: Jonathan Burks, Michael K. Singh, and Catherine Wheelbarger.
1: Welcome aboard roll up your sleeves, get to work.
0: Yeah. Holy shit. Anyway, we've gone a little over time, but there was just so much to laugh about today. Uh, so thank you for that reprieve from everything else that's going on in the news, Andrew.
1: Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's a rough time. Uh, like we always say, you know, uh, self care first and, uh, then get active and get involved. Second, um, this, uh, we are not going to sit by and do nothing in response to the Supreme Court uh, trampling on women's rights, on human rights, and um, uh, know that 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 we are active and uh, and we're going to continue to use this space to uh, uh, to to fight for people's rights. Yes, and, and don't uh, leave any us.
0: space. Don't if I don't care if Elon's buying Twitter. Don't leave Twitter. They're soon to block him. He might not just stay on. If you left, get back on.
1: Yeah, we, we did a long see, OA on that. so
0: We don't want to see any ground at yep. all. All right. That's it. Thank you so much. We will see you next week on Clean Up on All 45. Make sure to catch up Opening Arguments and the Daily Beans and muller wrote and the MSW Book Club and anything else on MSWmedia.com. It's been great to talk to you and see you again today, Andrew.
1: Oh, always a pleasure. And uh, I will see you one week from today.
0: Yes, you will. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye up on 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr.